You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. The award-winning crunch time. We want to see these sports back because they mean so much. They mean so, so much to so many Victorians and just our way of life, the rhythm of the week. All of these things are determined by whether those parts of our society are functioning as normal. We want footy back, but it's got to be safe, and I'm confident that it can be. But those announcements are not for me to make. We're not going to compromise on our hard borders uh, just to uh, meet the needs uh, of football. Our football teams have been disadvantaged by... Uh, football hierarchy for a long period of time. And if that's what happens, well, then that would be a further disadvantage for West Australian teams. What I'd say to the AFL is the hub arrangement in which teams were going to move to Western Australia and play football was a great arrangement. I mean, it's quite possible that in the early stages, South Australian teams will only be playing away games. South Australian players might be able to uh, train here, uh, stay here uh, in their home state, go out, uh, for games, but then uh, return uh, in a sort of a semi-quarantine situation so they can still train and they can still get to the next game. Look, if the the season was to start today, there is no way uh, we would be having uh, Victorian, New South Welsh and Queensland players uh, coming into South Australia. There might be some opportunity down the track, but I wouldn't think that there'd be any changes anytime soon. The state premiers hold footy's fates in their hands, delaying the announcements of the resumption timeline. The AFL is left to navigate a tricky path amid a lack of uniformity in easing restrictions and border closures. Let me start off by saying this is, this is our era. There's no walking away from it. Um, we uh, made a mistake and we accept that. And you guys know, I know, um, it's been hammered home to us as an industry and within our club as it has with the other clubs about the adherence to the AFL protocols and the broader community health protocols and uh, we know this is a community issue and we're all expected to play our, our role in flattening the curve and, and that's clear and we're not shying away from that. So in isolation you might say, yep, this one, slap on the wrist, I can see you know what the players have done there and it's, it's, it's an honest mistake. But over a three-year period, no club has had more controversy than the Adelaide Football Club. The players, they would have had to have been living under a rock not to know what was in place and the AFL backed over that a number of times as well in the past week and then there were other examples from other sports in Australia too about players that had stepped over the line. Yeah, and our obligation was to train in pairs and maintain social distancing and we failed in that and for that we have great regret and um, yeah, we, we apologise to the AFL for, for what we've done um, and we certainly work with them as they investigate the matter. Judgment hangs over the Adelaide Crows for a blatant breach of the competition's training rules. How will a furious AFL punish the club for the Barossa transgression. This is Crunch Time. Hope you feel it the way I feel it. Hope you feel it the 
It's a miserable Saturday in May, at least in Melbourne, as you look out the window where it has been raining for most of the morning. It's not a bad reflection of the national mood, which is captured on the front page of The Australian. PM says go. Big states say no. So there's a glimmer. There's a roadmap. There are beautiful flowcharts, but it's yet to have any impacts on our lives. And that's true of the reflection of footy. The hope of being able to roll out a timeline might be delayed. It's getting trickier, it seems, by the day. Jared Waitley with you on Crunch Time. Kane Corns is with me. Hello to you, Kane. Hello, Jared. again. Yeah, it is a bit wet and woolly out there. I've been for a big run this morning, but there was still a lot of people out on the streets exercising and good to see their smiling faces. But it is a football day and there is no football, unfortunately. But hopefully um, we're not too far away, albeit we would like to be a little bit more advanced than we thought we may be this time last week. And Liam Pickering for Red Energy for Australian Electricity and Gas. Hello to you, Pickers. Hello to you, Jared, and to you, uh, Wayne or... Kane, or whatever else they want to call you these days, Kane. Oh, I've had a bit of a laugh about some of the yes. talk about calls, what they've been calling you and Dwayne. Fair dinkum. There's that oh. many Waynes working on this on this station. It's hilarious. But, uh, yeah, plenty of footy to talk about, obviously. And, uh, yeah, this is the sort of weather where you wish you were going to the MCG or somewhere. They've been coming at Kane all week because my favourite call was yesterday. It was the, the caller just after 11 who rang and said, your dad was no good oh, as a footballer that. when he came here. <laughs> I heard it. Yeah, but I remember Studley coming across because I was a North man. And yeah, and, they, and, and Ronald Dale sent him home before the end of the year because um, it wasn't working out. But, I mean, he was a bloody great player. But he came over when he was about 40. Yeah. Him, and, him and Russell Lee, but they were in the mid-30s, I reckon. Uh, I tried to explain that to the caller, but I, I, I was nearly going to say, well, how many games did you play? Mate, <laughs> I, I, was, I, ne- I nearly got there. I was, you know, <laughs> we don't come after my family, but uh, as we've seen this week, families are off limits. But uh, no, we, we wouldn't have a show without our talkback callers, but yeah, there were, there were some strange ones this week. I think everyone's getting a, a bit, um, well, caught up in the hibernation. They just want to get out amongst it. How many games did you play as second only to Don't You Know Who I Am? <laughs> <laughs> tell you what, there's been a lot of them over the years. Gee, I'll tell you what, I've unraveled some blokes at pubs, Jared, over the years. They've said that, you know, they started talking about, oh, yeah, when I was playing them in the 90s. Oh, yeah, when did you play? Oh, 89 for Hawthorne. Oh, I was playing then. Hang on. Oh, I was, it was in, the, in a practice match. It's like, yeah, of course it was. <laughs> the raging oh, debate in the AFL at the moment is... What have the Crows done and what's the appropriate penalty for it? Have you got any players caught up in this, Pickens? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but, uh, you know, no one's, no, one, no, no one's told me of any of our guys. We've got one young player that potentially I thought might have been, but I haven't seen the list, so I haven't heard anything. All right, let's have a listen first to Matthew Nix, the Crows coach, who's just been on Fox Footy Live. Yeah, disappointed's probably not the right word. I was gutted, to be honest. It was... Um... You know, we, we put all good intentions into setting our guys up as well as we possibly could. And just to give you some perspective around what we are faced with, um, you know, getting our players back into the state, um, you know, within a short period of time uh, to do the right thing by the league and try and get ourselves prepared for what was a 14-day isolation period. Uh, we made a mistake. You know, some of that comes back to the communication and uh, that's where I put my hand on my heart and I take responsibility and I've let, I've let our boys down. But I feel for such a young group of boys in this situation and I'll, um, I'll do everything to stick up for them from this point forward. Um, we're not hiding from the fact we had spoken to our players and, and we had a pretty good understanding of, you know, of what was expected of football clubs, players, staff, 
um, through this time. We are not hiding from that whatsoever. Uh, we made a mistake. It's one that we, we know we've done wrong. Straight away, as soon as we found out, you know, we made contact with Arthur Integrity and we, we tried to go about it the right way. And unfortunately, we understand the ramifications of this and it's affected um, the entire industry and we're, and we're sorry for that. Yeah, we take full responsibility, but I just feel for, for my young players who at the moment are still up at the facility. They're now training as individuals to take out any risk. Um, but it's a really tough time for those guys. I'd be devastated to know that, that any of our players were, uh, I guess, were, were smashed with this. Um, I totally understand, though, where, you know, if you talk current environment, um, I understand why some people um, believe that punishment should be strong. Um, but I think if you get an understanding of exactly how this played out, uh, you know, hopefully our, our guys will come through the other end of it. That's Matty Nix a short time ago on Fox Footy Live. So the investigation is not yet completed at the AFL, so a punishment is is not imminent in terms of minutes or hours, but you would expect it would be wrapped up at some stage across the weekend. There's no underestimating the effect on the entire industry that's real. Is Jake Nile had AFL officials apoplectic when they heard about it yesterday. There'd been so many warnings given and the backdrop which the most tangible backdrop I think you have to be working in at the AFL to fully understand how delicate all this is is the West Australian government was on record during the week saying they essentially didn't trust the AFL to be able to deliver the quarantine procedures that were being promised and they had no confidence was the quote from the health minister and here's the case study to back that up so if you thought there was politics being played is this is the case study that makes life incredibly difficult in delicate negotiations that are happening. Pickers, what, what's your overall view here? Um, yeah, look, I, I think just firstly on the Crows stuff, I, I think it's a horrible uh, mistake that the Crows, the club have made, you know, and I don't really put the, put the blame straight onto the, uh, straight onto the, uh, the players because the, in a certain, to a certain extent, the, the players are sheep. And if they think it's okay, because they've got a coach and they've got a physio there, I mean, oh, I don't know how they could possibly think it was. But, I mean, I think it, it, it lands straight at the feet of the uh, of the administration of the Adelaide Crows and they're going to cop what I think will be a really, really big fine. Kane? Um, yeah, see, I'm not... Uh, I'm, if this was in isolation, as I've said, I, I wouldn't be as critical. But I just continue to wonder why these things happen at the Adelaide Football Club. I, I hope the the thing that isn't overlooked is Matthew Nix's appearance on Sports Day on Tuesday night, uh, basically saying that they're going to be delivering uh, treadmills and fitness equipment to the 16 players' houses. And then, well, all of a sudden, they're, they're all 40 minutes out of the city at a, at a facility. So either he's been misled and wasn't aware that they'd organised for their players to be at a facility that's 40 minutes out of the city. Yeah, I'm assuming it's taken some organisation for this to happen and it d- didn't just come together in 24 hours. He didn't know or he misled the media. So there's another one there that they've made their coach look a little bit foolish in this situation as well, just looking back on the timeline of events. But in terms of a punishment, I think it'll be a fine and I think it'll serve as a very significant first warning, if that is what you want to call it, for the rest of the competition. And from there, there won't be any more excuses. I hope the individual players aren't dealt with with fines. Uh, so I'm very clear in my view that it should be they should be docked four points. I think there's a the football penalty in this instance. It's one of the most simple cases I've ever seen. As they they stepped outside guidelines which were fully articulated and understood by all. It doesn't actually matter how and why. All that matters is that it happened. It jeopardises the entire 
program of resumption uh, in their own state of South Australia, it's difficult. The South Australian Police Commissioner had said that the players had been given exemption to be in isolation on the golf course, but they were expected to remain isolated in their rooms and not venture outside. So this notion that they'd been given special dispensation to train is nonsense. There's not a club in the land who's having eight pairs of players out on a single oval participating in training. Everyone's crystal on how prescriptive all of this is, and part of it is to appease governments who have been negotiated with. Part of it is to belong to the community and not seek special treatment, even though special treatment was given in this case. And part of it is to maintain some form of level playing field. I think if the AFL doesn't seize this moment as a precedent, and it is the most gift-wrapped precedent that they could possibly have for all of their clubs as you walk through each step of an unnatural resumption to training, I think they'd be mad to let this pass them by. Dock them four points, start them behind the rest of the field and say to anybody else, if you do this as a collective, this will be your punishment. It will materially impact on your 2020 season. I wonder why Jared, though, the club would have chosen to send the players there if the agreement was to isolate in your room. Uh, mm. what, what's the benefit of that? Well, it they, they no must, <laughs> It doesn't at all because you can you isolate in your home. Like, there's no benefit to go there if you're not allowed to train in the open spaces on the golf course. Otherwise, just, just stay at home and run on a treadmill like they were going to do. So I, I don't get that part of it. Clearly, the club thought they could get one through or there was an advantage or you know it might fly under the radar they didn't tell the media the players were going to be there i just don't understand if that was the case and the agreement with the police what they thought the benefit of this would have been well it's hard to think anything other than they thought they could get away with it Hmm. that's that's the reality isn't it when you you Hmm. look at it that way it's seems pretty straightforward to me uh and as i said it's it appears to be it's a club sanctioned scenario so I think the players should be the ones um, that, that escape the penalties and the, the, the club should be the one that cop it, whether it's points. Personally, I think a, a big fine is probably enough, but um, I guess we've all got different opinions on that. How would you be if you were Rory Sloan, do you reckon, Kane? Uh, I'd be... I'd be furious. I'd be angry. I reckon he's had. I think he's already had words with um, Taylor Walker over the, you know the issues that, that I've had with Tex and the public the spat that that we've had. I get the feeling Rory's tried to pull him into line a little bit because since then Taylor Walker has been very uh, tight-lipped on anything to do with that. So he's he's dealt with that and he almost tweeted about it, Rory Sloan, um, with that. And then he's had the drink driving indiscretion, which was a couple of weeks ago, which is just is just a shocking look for the for the club. But regardless of the fact that, you know, no other players are involved and how could your teammates have stopped that from happening, it just drags the whole footy club into it. And then you've got this on the back of all the other things that we've explained in the last three years since that grand final defeat. So in his first year of captain, he's played one game. It was a loss and he's dealt with uh, two significant off-field indiscretions already. Um, and he is he's an upstanding citizen, Rory Sloan. Like, you couldn't get a better teammate. You couldn't get a better captain. But he hasn't been able to assert his influence over the group yet. It feels like they've botched their clean slate pickers. Already, yeah. yeah. It's staggering, isn't it? When they, it's Basically, they put a broom through the joint. Yeah. They moved on that many people. And the new ones have already made a couple of blues. Well, one as a club, in my view, which is this one. And then a couple of other little little things that probably could have been avoided, and uh, yeah, that, they need to uh, to win back a bit of respect. To be to be perfectly honest, because they're a club that 
up until three years ago. They were one of the benchmarks of the AFL, and, and things have gone horribly wrong since then. Are they uh, a great footy club? I reckon they, they suffer by comparison to West Coast, and that's their, that's the only natural counterpart. Yeah. Um, I don't think they measure up in many of the areas that, that West Coast have set the benchmark for. No, not, they, not, they, yeah. they don't, but they, sh- they should be. Yeah. They've got all the advantages of, you know, the West Coast have got, really. Mm. You know, they're the big team in town. You know, they, they're the ones that started first. They've got the big supporter base. They've got the cash. Uh, but they're not, they're not acting like it, are they? They're, they're not acting like it. They're acting like the little brother at the moment. I, I thought uh, during the Neil Craig era, they, they were a footy club that I admired. They didn't have the, the success that they perhaps could have with the talent, but they were always around the mark. They never, ever bottomed out. They never had high draft picks. They never got the benefit of what some other clubs had done that had bottomed out. They were, they were almost like the Sydney, where they're just always competitive. You've got, you've got a really decent effort on the field, and off the field they were a great footy club, financially sound, upstanding citizens. Since since that era, it was, it was messy with Brendan Sanderson, I thought. You know, he... He was had a reasonable record, and he was let go of prematurely and maybe unexpectedly. Then um, no one could have foreseen the issue with um, Phil Walsh, of course, and and that. But I thought the club handled that as well as they could have possibly handled it. But but since then, uh, the Don Pike situation—did they get ahead of themselves there? There's always questions: Are they upfront with their fans? Are they upfront with the media? You'd have to say absolutely not. And then, as you said, there's been a broom swept through the joint. And if you're Brett Burton right now, because he was blamed for all of it, it was it was Brett Burton, it was Birdman who was the problem with the club from the camp to the players that they had lost from everything that was gone on. He's not he's not there anymore. So you, you can't blame Burton anymore, and he must you know be quietly smiling at the moment with with what has gone on this season so far already. The the idea of punishment had been put on the table during the week as um, David King raised it on Monday. It was picked up by Greg Swan and Jeff Kennett and evidently from Caroline Wilson's report in the age today as Gil McLaughlin had been pretty prescriptive about the, the warnings that were issued to clubs and to the senior coaches along the way is that if you if you couldn't live within the specific rules of this year's competition, then you wouldn't be allowed to play and, and it seems that he floated the the season long suspension if you were flouting the rules of society and the rules of the competition as someone who's in charge of a good many of these or have a good many of these players in your care pickers what what was your view of the way that conversation unfolded yeah very much like that and i think the players you know you speak to the players they've been told pretty clearly what they can and can't do i don't think there's any issues there i, I think the messaging has been there i think that yeah, you know, this poor communication. I mean, that's got whiskers on it for mine. You know, because everyone in the world knows what's going on. The AFL have been very strong, very strong. The, the players, the players' association, the, the AFL, they're fully aware of what their expectations are. Yeah, the discussion went around about the West Coast. Where you know, well, they're allowed to be out in tens. Well, the AFL said, no, you're not training in tens, groups of ten. I mean, it was pretty clear, wasn't it? You know, yeah. so there was no special rules because your states relaxed you to a certain extent. You what the isolation rules for them are, it doesn't mean that you get an advantage. So I think they've been very clear in their messaging, and I just think it's it's a bit of a half a cop-out, to be honest. Kane, would it be useful to have it all set up walking into the season rather than dealing with cases individually if they pop up? I think so, um, and it was Greg Swan, wasn't it, during the week who sort of alluded to the fact that a 10-week ban might be the, the 
the benchmark for a punishment. That seems extreme to me. But, yeah, I just think it, it calls for another Gill, um, as much as he's got a bit of other stuff on his plate, it calls for another Gill 18 captain conference. Just a, just a quick one to say, look, guys, this is the messaging. If if anyone mucks up, again, this is the baseline punishment. And then everyone knows because, you know, different circumstances are going to call for different punishments, but at least we have the benchmark for it. So, yeah, I think it would be useful as much as, you know, he can't be bothered dealing with issues like this because it's pretty clear for everyone who's been living with this virus for seven, eight weeks now, and we all know the rules, basically. So it's frustrating, but, yeah, I think to answer your question, it would be beneficial to have that. Kane Corns and Liam Pickering on Crunch Time this Saturday. You can join us, one 736 736 Or ponder, has West Australia been playing politics during the week or do they now look vindicated in that stance? And would it be unfair to begin, begin the competition in such circumstances? Would it scupper the Eagles' premiership assaults? So we'll take your calls, open that conversation. We might talk a little bit of wet weather football before we're done, given the view out the window mm. today. Liam Pickering, Kane Corns, Jared Waitley with you on Crunch Time. Our experts here for Red Energy for Australian electricity and gas. There is no confidence the AFL can maintain infection control and prevent infection spread. But WA's hard border will not and should not be compromised to allow the AFL to resume a home and away season. It was a hard line from Western Australia throughout the week. That was the Health Minister, Roger Cook, and it's echoed what the Premier had said previously, Mark McGowan. It felt at moments like there there was a bit of axe grinding Mm. going on as Western Australia, well, the Premier made the point that they liked the hubs scenario. They wanted a hub. They believed that they would get a hub and be able to host games. They want a grand final. Uh, There's a bit of history, I think, stitched into this, but... There is vindication for them, regrettably, through the the Adelaide scenario at the end. How did you read, Kane, Western Australia's hardcore stance? I was surprised by it, yeah. Prior to... Because they said this prior to the Adelaide situation, and at that stage, why had they had no confidence in the AFL to maintain, I guess, the protocols that were um, required? I mean, the AFL, I think, has done a pretty good job. No, No player has tested positive we got round one underway and it all went through pretty well unscathed with teams flying in and out and now the situation of the country in terms of active cases is a lot better than it was in round one so at that point when they did say that I was surprised that well, why have they got any reason to doubt whether the AFL could uphold the standards that were required now of course a couple of days later the Adelaide situation has happened so in hindsight their, their comments are probably justified but yeah I was surprised by it I thought they would have um, welcomed their team and given them at least an exemption to fly in and out, a little bit like what the state government is going to do for Port and the Crows in South Australia. There was the sighting of history as West Australian teams have been treated poorly in the past, was the suggestion of the Premier. And if this was, this is how it unfolded, they'd be treated poorly again. So uh, those would be pretty delicate conversations behind the scenes, because if that's what's being said publicly. Well, let's just hope that that's uh, and they're driving a political campaign based on uh, feeling your team's been unfed, unfairly treated. <laughs> I mean, surely, surely we've got to put the, put them aside and just treat this as all right. If we, if we think this can work. Let's just make a way or find a way to make it work. But I don't know. They've got a hardline approach, and that's they've got their own way of doing things in the wild west. I'll give them that. It'd be wretched for the season if 
Uh, the mm. Eagles are in the premiership window, so Fremantle is not, so the circumstances are difficult for the Dockers, but it absolutely affects the overall oh. competition if the Eagles have to spend months away from home and and play in, in an environment which uh, no other contender has to. Well, absolutely it does. And you, and you see the... Uh, I heard Nick Nat on the radio this week. It might have even been with you. That, uh, Gary and Tim, yeah. Yeah, Gary and Tim, was it? Yeah, they're, they're getting ready for it. It's not like it's going to surprise them if they, they have to come and relocate to Melbourne. And I think it's very unfair on the two West Australian teams, in particular the West Coast Eagles, who were my flag fancy before the season. Um, sort of warmed to Collingwood after one round for some reason. I just think they might be in that window as well. And, you know, they have such an advantage playing in Perth. And, it's, and I know they have, if they haven't got the crowds here, they might th- you might think that that's still not an advantage. It's a massive advantage playing over at that ground. They're, they're a damn hard decide to beat at, uh, at Optus. So I wonder, Jared, whether they can... I mean, the, the Prime Minister said yesterday he's looking to get things moving in a COVID-safe economy by July, which will mean, hopefully, that border restrictions are eased within Australia. I wonder if they can just come for a month or two and get four or five games away and then bank some home games for the back half of the season. And if they can sort of go three and one or, or, or split it two and two in their first four games in Victoria and then bank some of those home games, they're still going to be in a pretty good position for the back half of the year, provided you know the Premier of WA sort of eases up his, his hard stand. It, it's, it makes the fixture so difficult, Kane, is trying to roll that out if, if there's no certainty around what could happen with the two West Australian teams. Yeah, I, and it's just a logistical nightmare, left, left, right and centre, really. Um, as much as we wanted it to look like a normal season, it's going to be near on impossible to do that. And even no home games in South Australia as well has basically been confirmed. So Port and the Crows can come and go, but there's going to be no games at the Adelaide Oval, at least probably until July either. So I, I don't know. We spoke about it last night. I, I don't know who is helping with the fixture, but um, they're going to have to be a genius to get it to get it underway. This is, Sam, I've got... I've got a view of we're missing one thing in all this that we're talking about. This is a this is a very strange season. We know that. We're dealing with a pandemic. But why the AFL haven't used Andrew Island to be involved in the various lists they've got going on? They've got lists over soft <laughs> caps. Yeah, they've got list sizes, soft caps, you name it. You know, Andrew Island is one of the best administrators I've ever dealt with. I can tell you right now. Uh, we're trying to navigate our way through this pandemic, which is there's so much going on with the fixturing and, and, and whatever we need. We need clear thinkers. Andrew Island is no longer involved. Like he's a Swans board member, that's it. He sits on the Sports Commission, the Australian Sports Commission. He's got the most experience of any, of any administrator in the country, bar none, bar none. He's played football in Melbourne. He's saved the Brisbane Lions back in the day, is the CEO of the Swans, CEO of the Lions. Like, why aren't we using resources like this to try and navigate what we're going through as to putting all this together? Is it just me or, to me, that, I don't know whether he'd do it or not, but, like, that's the sort of voice I hear that we've got. Oh, these, we've got these guys over here talking about this and these guys over here talking about this. Why don't we get someone that's independent? He's not in the game anymore. Why wouldn't we use someone like that? Is it? I mean, I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, yeah the, the value of the independent thinker uh, who's got experience at so many different levels and so many different circumstances? You, you'd want to tap as much of that as possible. Well, and I know that you know part of the thinking around creating all manner of committees and and applying the best minds within the industry in specific areas. But yes, is to think that one layer removed from it does does make a lot of sense. I, I'm still of the view that the the AFL has done a hell of a lot right. They have. 
landing the rest of it is it's so difficult. I don't envy them any of it. And I that, don't envy them trying to roll out any sort of fixture, whether that's next week or beyond, and then knowing that how it'll go beyond the, the first two weeks. Yeah, well, and again, we're talking, we talk with sizes and what are we doing there and, and how do we restructure salary caps and, and soft caps and all that sort of thing. Well, this guy, in my view, and I have not spoken to him about this, by the way, he might tell me to nick off, but... <laughs> uh, in my view, like he did the first ever long-term contract. He did sign Alistair Lynch, remember, back in the day for a 10-year yeah. you know, deal or whatever it was. He obviously did the buddy one. So he knows how to clearly think through scenarios that I don't think a lot of the other administrators can, to be perfectly honest. I think he's that far above them, in my view, one of the best minds in the game. So I'd be tapping into everyone, and he would be the first bloke I would tap into. Mm. Do you think that the players have had enough involvement uh, in all of this. So there's obviously been moments, there's been clear moments of friction, but it doesn't feel like they're being tapped in any formal capacity. No. Well, I think that they're going through the Players Association who, again, have got their hands tied to a certain extent because they're being, uh, they're being well, quite rightly, the AFL are trying to set the whole agenda together and I think they're doing a great job too. But they, they do it first and then they tell the Players Association, tell the players. So the players don't directly have that involvement and in my view, few of them should have, and I talk mainly the experienced players, because mm. uh, these, whatever they, they decide, and I'm not just talking about the games and where they're going to be played and all that, going forward, this, this will affect the competition for the next couple of years. It's not going to be a one-off, this one. So you, you would want the key stakeholders to have a pretty big input, in my view. Oh, yeah, I think it's I think it's tough to get all the players on the same page, and even the, what's filtered out from that sort of infamous meeting with the players' association. Some were were up in arms, but some were sort of sitting back and taking it all in and, and disagreeing with those that are vocal. So you're always going to get the vocal minority, I think, and those that feel comfortable to speak up and have their say. That, that's why it's tough to get everyone on the same page. So just needs to be a cross-section, I reckon. A, a couple of experienced ones, some from the middle, some with families mm. and some that are inexperienced. More so, that trying to get all of them together on the same page is, is impossible. I think you need to have a couple of representatives from each club that represent the cross-section of the demographic of the playing group. Yeah, and, that, and that, the argument will be that we have got that. We've got the club captains in one discussion and we've got the delegates, the AFLPA delegates, yeah. plus we've got our AFL board, uh, AFL players board, which is led by Patrick Dangerfield. So, yeah, it's hard because there's so many players, what, 800 players or whatever the hell mm. it is. Um, look, the reality is you're never going to get everyone. I'll never get 100%. I think we talked last week with Mark Evans. It was around about that 90, 95, even at the Gold Coast, so, uh, that, were, that were keen and that would deal with hubs. So, yeah, I just think, as I said, I've got one off the SMS here. Do I manage Andrew Island? I don't manage Andrew Island. <laughs> just a heads up. I just I dealt with him for a long time when he was working for the Swans, and I just know how good he is, that's all. So, yeah, I, as I said, it's, it's a time where we need to, to listen to people that have got expertise, in my view. And in my view, again, as I said, he's got the most expertise of anyone in that football admin situ- uh, section. During the week, uh, there was a back page of the Herald Sun that had Mick Malthouse um, urging the AFL to have no further involvement with China um, mm. as a reaction to what had taken place. It was a really borderline piece. Is David Koch, uh, who's the Port Adelaide chairman and obviously been the pioneer of putting home games in China, has replied in kind on Fox Footy Live a short time ago. Mick Malthouse doesn't know what he's talking about. 
Um, if it was up for, with comments like that, if it was up to Mick Malthouse, he'd bring back the white Australia policy of the 50s. That's a little unfair. In this, regard, he's, in this regard, he's a bit of a dinosaur because China, is it's important to keep that bridge um, being built from a business and community level and we play an important role in that and will into the future. That's a... That's yeah. It's mm. right at the throat of the the game's mm. longest serving coach. Yeah, I, I, that was a, that was a, that was nasty actually. That was yeah. na- that was nasty. <laughs> I I without taking any um, side on this, it's just going to be logistically hard, isn't it? Like because the the, the uh, international borders are going to be the last thing that opens. So how the club are going to continue the work they've done with China is going to be really difficult. It certainly wouldn't think it's going to happen next year. And I'm just talking about the tra- travel-wise, Jared, and safety. Like, we're trying to navigate um, into interstate travel at the moment, let alone uh, in overseas travel. So right in the heart of where the virus started, what sort of look is it for the AFL and, and how safe is it is, is what they'll be concerned about. So you'd at least think it's on the back burner for a good 12 months. Wouldn't you? You can't see them yeah. going there next year. That is a different conversation too, as an yeah. act of retribution, removing any prospect of the game from China. Though, is it that's yours yeah. as a, a more mm. measured assessment of what's taking place, rather than being driven by something else? Mm. Um, yeah, that that economic opportunity to the Port Adelaide is they're they're not inclined to give that up uh, easily, and I understand that that would be a point of difference, but. I mean, right from the very start, right from the very start, the first thing that was going to be lost was that game, and you would imagine that would be the very last thing that was a possibility of being able to resume. Yeah, and, that, and that's pretty obvious. Obviously, the the um, the power. Obviously, Port Adelaide get a. How much do they make out of that game? I mean, it's obvious. It's a fair whack for their for their coffers. I would have thought, but it's not happening this year, and it's certainly not going to happen next year, in my view. Mm, mm. What What do you hope the season looks like? Yes, this is. I'm excited about it, Jared. Yeah, I'm, so I'm am I. seriously do you excited. Hope that it rolls out as as formal rounds. Yep. Or so yep. I must admit, I, I said this to Kane last night. Is when the idea this week seemed to solidify that we were going to play rounds in a pretty normal way. I, it was almost <laughs> found a little bit anticlimactic to me. I no. hope when the game resumes, it it, it absolutely overwhelms us and immerses it in it and gives us uh, the game in a in a different way. Virtually every night for a period of time. Yeah, I, yeah, we're not going to get to that by the looks of it. No, I think Thursday. Thursdays are going to be in for the year. That's pretty obvious, I would have thought. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is good. And there'll be the odd game that'll be popped in in the middle of the week too, I reckon. I just think that they might drop the odd Wednesday game in. Uh, I still think it's going to be great. Because a couple of days away to review and to get yourself ready, I don't think hurts. Yeah, I do like Thursday. I love Thursday night football. I think it's just superb. And I think it should be in any way all year round. And Oh, I, I don't. I don't care if they play every night. I know what you're saying, Jerry, but I, I, I don't think that'll be what happens. Mm. I love the idea of Wednesday through Sunday yeah. with Monday for review and Tuesday to set up the fresh round and then go. Yeah, well, I'm happy with that either. Oh, I'm very happy if it's Wednesdays to to Sunday. Uh, but I just, I think you do need you do need one day to review, and you do need one day to, and you also need to plan your games because what you don't want is the Wednesday night to become a, a fizzer night. The people are sort of oh, over it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about the the experiment of it and what it might look like. I mean, Monday night football in America is huge. Look, as a spectator, I, I 
I detest sort of Monday night football, detest too strong, but would don't like going along to the footy to watch in the stadium on Monday night, but I love the thought of it for a viewer at home. Um, so to have a look at how it rates on a Thursday, to compare that to a Monday, we haven't really embraced Monday night footy in the AFL like they have overseas, but it's a great opportunity to have a look at it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to some Thursday and some Monday. Uh, I'm happy to keep the, the middle of the week free. I didn't. I, I went to one game when it was on a Monday night. It was St Kilda and I can't even who they played. It was mm. St Kilda Carlton. That's right. Thank you very much, Joel. Yeah, St Kilda Carlton. Oh, God, it was a hard night. Next day you get up and it's Tuesday. You've got to go to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Been in a corporate box having a good old time. <laughs> it's not bloody Saturday. I oh, know. But you, you, and the players hate it as well because you sit around all weekend, you watch everyone else play, and you've got to wait till Monday night. So the players hate it. And I don't think the spectators love it. But to sit home and watch it after a tough Monday at work, I, yeah. I sort of like that idea. The, the Monday nights... So I do think part of the footy cycle is the Monday night reflecting yeah, sort of classified I, I, and yeah. couch and 360, 360 and the like yeah. and, and, and talking footy is that chance to be able to get mm. a collection of work, fully analyse it, reset what or set up what's to come next and then go. So I still feel like there needs to be that punctuation point. Now, whether that's mon- Monday night works exceptionally yeah, well, I think perfect. if you added all those TV audiences together, that that's a pretty substantial part of the footy population that likes to engage in that part before moving to the next set of games. Can I ask you this, Jared? You do the Monday night show with my old mate. Do you find, is Monday your favourite night? Because you've got so much to talk about. Yeah. Is that is that the most enjoyable and, and not, I don't mean easy, but is that the one of the easier shows you can do because there's so much to talk about? Yeah, as there's usually, you'd say there's a list of between 12 and 18 things of which you cherry pick about the best six. So you leave a whole lot on the table and, and, and then the next show will, will chew yeah, through those. <laughs> and by the end of it, you've sort of got everything in play. I reckon that's a really... The way that's evolved, I reckon that's a really important dynamic in the way that the season works. And to my eye, and I might be wrong about this, but I reckon the team, if you're a supporter of a team that fails you, you almost want that purging process, <laughs> that self-flagellation <laughs> process to work through it. If you're a team that soars, the best bit, the best feedback we get on a Monday night is if, if your team didn't get spoken about in the manner that you felt, either good or bad, there's the, whoa, where are we in all of this? Is The, I re- the cut and thrust of that, I, I do think, is fantastic. And it, it, it plays its role in every bit as way. As, as pivotal a way as the game does is to have that, that interactivity on a Monday night between everybody. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I love Monday nights. Just you sit back and just goes one after another. Bang, you blokes into couch, into, into classified, into, you know... Oh, actually, I've got a show now later on that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I may not see it as much actually going forward. <laughs> I just think about that. But anyway, um, yeah, so it is. It's my favourite... Review night of the week. I find by Wednesday, I'm right. Let's get the teams. Let's get it out there. Let's get mm. them on again. So, but yeah, Monday night's the night I think to review. And then I'm with you. If we can play Wednesdays, I'd be thrilled to do Wednesday to, to Sunday. But I just don't think they will. Mm. The possibilities. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've always been a fan of Thursday night. So that's yeah, I agree with you. That that's a given. That's where every round will begin, and, and maybe we'll sneak a few in beforehand as well. Have your say. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. The text oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Cane corns and Liam Pickering on crunch time this afternoon for Red Energy, your Australian ele- for, ele- for Australian electricity and gas. 
we are 100% flexible and uh, we'll do whatever it takes from here to, to play footy. So if that means we're forced to play away from home for, uh, you know, a month or two months at the start of the season and maybe we can make that up later in the season, we'll, we'll get done whatever the, the AFL need us to do. Matty Nix, the Adelaide coach on Fox Footy a couple of hours ago. Dom has lined up the fixture Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday Arvo, Saturday twilight, Saturday night, Sunday the early afternoon, Sunday afternoon, Sunday twilight and Sunday night as the time slots. My one hope is that we pull apart the the crossover game so that there aren't two games substantially going at the same time given that there's no crowds there's maximum flexibility for a from a television perspective there is an opportunity there and magsy from taylor's lake since the only way monday nights will be accepted and embraced is by making it standard media will simply need to adjust into tuesdays and football will benefit by having content all week long that's true. I do think there's a difference between Monday night and Tuesday night just in the way that we live our lives. I don't think the Tuesday night reviews would be nearly as strong as what happens on Monday night when uh, those early games are then a long time away. We could, we could lose the, the, uh, the graveyard shift on Sunday twilight, though, I think. So whether we shift that into a permanent Thursday fixture, I, I don't think that game's necessary. That gets a little bit lost and, and hidden away in the fixture. So that one can go for me. Yeah. Yep. So mm. it's it's been a pretty miserable morning. Well, it is improving a little bit in Melbourne out bit. the window now. And and it did let the mind drift to if we were at the G this afternoon, what sort of game we'd see and and who have we seen in those conditions throughout the years. So Pickers and Kane, can you if I said can you remember a day? Can you remember a day where you thought, Oh god, do we really have to play in oh, this weather during gee, your time? Yep. Tell you, I played yep. in nineteen eighty nine, Jared. And that, <laughs> we went to grounds where the whole ground was in water. Like, I, seriously, there was a game we, that was just the wettest. That was the wettest winter we I reckon I've ever ever we've had. A, the whole, and it was the whole country. I remember, we went up and played the Swans. I, I was playing for North Melbourne, and it was in the reserves, uh, which heart should be laughing. And of course, it was in the reserves anyway. Yeah, I was playing in the seconds, and we went out and had a look at the ground, and we're walking around, we're slopping through them. It was just fairly more water and mud. I come back in. I'm in the. We're warming up, and I look over and the umpires come in and I look at Phil Cracker and he's wearing moulded soles. <laughs> and I said, Phil, what's with the moulded soles? Aren't you going to put the long stops? He goes, oh, you're going to fall over anyway. Might as well be comfortable. <laughs> that was his theory. <laughs> but yeah, so I've seen some horrible wet days where it's just, it's just all about yardage. You know, you just kick them off the ground and knock it on any way you can. We, uh, we played Richmond in 2010, and it was similar as to what Pickers has just described, but the whole ground, and, and pretty rare to have this, just, just in puddles, like just the, it was cyclonic, the weather. Richmond was 0-9 and nine coming to this game, I think Damien Hardwick's first year as coach, and they knocked us off. We kicked three goals for the game. Clearly, we didn't want to be there. They embraced the conditions. <laughs> we didn't, and they got their first win of the season in round 10. It was just a horrific day, and just one of those ones ones where you want to be inside in a nice warm shower. I can remember two, uh, one as a caller, um, it was the night of the royal wedding, is when William and Kate got married and we were at the SCG. SCG, yes. Yeah, uh, it was Chris Jones night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And you felt like players were sliding along, you felt like there was the risk that if one of them got hit hard enough, they might drown face down. There was so much water on the ground. And the Swans dominated the first half and then Judd turned the game magnificently with one of the great wet weather displays in the second half. And the other one I remember was in 
uh, June 2004, and it was the day our, our eldest was born. So we're in hospital listening to Geelong and Fremantle. No, that was Geelong and Brisbane. There was one Geelong and Fremantle one day where the Fremantle players were sitting with hot water bottles and under blankets <laughs> down on the bench, and they had absolutely no interest in being there. And the other one was the Lions... Geelong game and that was it was a bitingly cold day it was the first time Geelong had beaten the Lions in that whole run when Brisbane were the team uh, and just how the weather played a role in the, in those two games the thing about Geelong is is it, when they, Stan wasn't there on the Murrable Street in now Murrable Street side of the ground that ball used to get stuck on that side of the ground and you couldn't get out of there the, I remember one day against uh, the West Coast it, we just kept getting it out in the fall and we actually we know the ground. It's just that it's lived on the on the outer wing. It's shocking. What about players? Who were the who were the players you just knew when it was going to be soggy and wet? Well, yeah. I just I automatically think of Bartel. I just yes, he, I've got him on my list. Yeah, he, he got the long sleeve on. He just you just cope with the conditions so well. Where, where, whether it's where he grew up or whatever, he was one. And and you know Wayne Carey, I always thought was a great, great yep. wet weather footballer. Wayne Carey. Oh, I remember him firsthand when he yeah. Sid Landley took hold of us in '97. Kicked seven yeah. in the wet at eleven. Jeez, he was banging them from sixty. That was uh, the Sunday night final, oh, wasn't it? Yeah, the filthy Sunday night final where it yeah. poured rain the whole night. We shouldn't have even been playing, Jared. I don't even want to start on that. We bloody <laughs> finished second, for God's sake. We played North Melbourne Sunday night under lights in the rain. God. <laughs> i got to think of a couple of great... Jeff Burns, as well before your time, uh, obviously, Kane. But um, Jared will remember Jeff Burns, Joffa Burns. Well, yeah, had to be a good wet weather player at Moorabbin back in the day because they used to water the ground. And so the whole ground was just a bog. And Joffa Burns, so, so Jeff Burns in the middle of the ground was just a heavy, great hot driver in heavy traffic, as they say. Gary Ayres was a great wet weather footballer, fantastic footballer in the wet. Matthew Larkin, an ex-teammate of mine, oh, fabulous yeah. player in the wet, clean as a whistle. He was, he was, because he was he had these, he had the long body and the little legs. And at one stage there, I'm trying to think who the journalist was, but they referred to him as the Shetland Pony of AFL football. <laughs> I don't know so much in my life. The Shetland Pony. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. That's excellent. What, a, that's, yeah. what about you, Jared? You got a favourite? Yeah. So as a supporter, as Bartel in the long sleeves, he was yeah. he was footy's van der hum. You just you knew. <laughs> yep. And he won the Norm Smith in the in the wet against uh, against Collingwood. But yeah, his his capacity to mark to leap up high and to hug the ball to his chest mm. in those long sleeves is you always knew when it was a, a wet day that you'd you'd see Bartel at his best. But it's so, a, it's the stock standard though, Jared. All the same. They're great players. They say it drags everyone back, unless it's an absolute bog and it's pouring rain. It doesn't drain the best players, like the James Herds of the world and the Greg Williams mm. of the world. They still play well, don't worry. Yep. The best players say, still play well. <laughs> yeah, James Herb was a very good wet weather footballer in the long sleeves as well. So he's one that also sticks out. Particularly, he had some wet Anzac days as well, just from memory, sitting back and yeah. watching. And James Herb was always dominant in those games. One of the single best wet weather performances being highlighted on the text is Mark McGough on debut mm. on Anzac mm. Day in the heavy rain. Absolutely right. Yeah, you want to pick? Um, you want to pick one performance? That's a pretty good one. All right, Sam Dallasan, warning oh, or sorry, just a quick Russian one. Camelot. I did. Figures. I did say John. Jeff Burns. I meant Greg Burns. Sorry, yeah, Joffa. Sorry, <laughs> Joffa Cunningham. Yeah, and Joffa Cunningham with the two boys from St Kilda. Sorry about that. So, uh, Russian Camelot for me, Jared. 
Yeah, we're, we're alike there. So that's the fun of the afternoon in the South Australian derby. Good to chat to you both on crunch time. We'll see how events transpire over the next week and what there is to chew over. There'll be plenty, I'm sure, to debate next Saturday. Have a good afternoon to you both. Yeah, you, you too. too. See you next week. Dane Corns and Liam Pickering here for Red <laughs> Energy for Australian Electricity and Gas. Crunch time this Saturday afternoon uh, for whatever lies ahead. And to all your mums, have a happy Mother's Day tomorrow. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.